Welcome to the rum shop. Hello, good night. Yeah, Welcome to the rum shop. A curious place, a kindred spirits. With a chat boat, trials and tribulations, love and laughter, followed by a shuttle. His name's Gordon and his name's Corey. I'm out. Hello all and welcome to the rum shop. You should know our names by now. I'm Gordon and he's Corey. Welcome. Hello again. How are you, Mr. Barrett? I'm good, man. I'm good. Well, sort of good. I've got I've got a few a few uh, additions to uh, to my life at the minute. You got a dog. No, oh. they're worse than a dog. New trainers. I got two sticks. <laughs> two sticks to help me run the house. Tell the people. Just tell them why. I'm trying to, trying to. I say trying to play football with my son yesterday. And uh, yeah, that didn't go down well. So that resulted in me going to A and E. Uh, again, it's kind of like I've got my own car park there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, got a small tear in the left knee. I'm not even left footed. So, so can I just ask a question? So how long are you going to be on crutches for? I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, we'll see. I've got to rest for a few days. Well, for a week or so get some physio and then then they'll assess again once the swelling's gone down and all that nonsense is it in some kind of cast is it no i've got a kind of a brace brace sort of thing on but yeah i need to take only use that when i'm moving around but i shouldn't be moving around the joys of trying to be an active dad when you're not an active person. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should be a referee. They still have to run. <laughs> I, I can't run. I don't even run for a bus. Yeah, they might run, but still get decisions wrong. Some people would play anyway. So yeah, I think you should be a ref. And What, are you Raya Rennie? Oh, this, is, this, is what, this is the kind of things that I've got to work with. This is this is what this. Oh anyway, I'm sorry, but otherwise, uh, how are you? I'm I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm excited to be back after uh, last last week. Yeah, um, we just want to say apologies uh, for our last podcast because we just got cut off and. Obviously, from the last podcast, 
podcast we were talking about institution and institutional racism as well and it just got interrupted um when you talk the truth sometimes stuff happens exactly and we talk the truth we are the real we are the real deal real deal rum shop maybe that's a t-shirt maybe yeah maybe you should design a t-shirt maybe i do maybe i will you know real deal rum shop sound like a wrestler as well <laughs> that could be you because i can't i'll get brooke <laughs> you could be the referee <laughs> yeah the referee gets slammed you know, at some point actually you could be the manager you remember the old days of WWF? Mick Manus. <laughs> when he used to come up with the managers and stuff like that. <laughs> with my little cane. <laughs> and then when somebody gets a rush, you can just hit him on top of the head with a cane. Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, so. How are you anyway? You, uh, you know what? I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, it's been a crazy week with work. But that's gone. Every every three months is the crazy part. Stuff has to be done, and it's, it's crazy. But it's all it's all done. It's good. The sun's out. We're all sort of back together as a family because my daughter was filming for the last nine weeks. She's back now. Wow. So we're all back so, together. So you're back in the stuff. shed now. I'm back in the shed. Oh, the the dog the dog took his place in in the bed. I've got to, I've got to admit it. Um. The dog sleeping in the bed. I know. A little silence. I'm shocked as well, but anyway. Poor Kendrick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy in the shed anyway. I know you're happy in the shed, but I don't think Kendrick's happy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's, it's good. The sun's out. We've, we've, things are a little bit back to normal. Had a good weekend in... Was the last weekend Manchester and it was good just to have a little pop around the shops and stuff like that it feels like I said that little bit of normality it was good but I'm happy no complaints I'm I'm here with you in the room shop and I'm happy wait you're not just here with me though yeah, see we technically we've got our first guest or is it our first guest third could be our third guest if we class yeah, hmm. It's our, it's our, it's going to be our first live studio guest. Yes, that's it. We're not studio. Scoob, we're trying to be professional here. We're, we're telling everyone we're in a studio. Oh, yeah. We're in a room shop. We're in a room shop. It's ex- exactly. Yeah, okay. All right then. Yeah, anyway. So, we, yeah, we've got our first guest. And he's a friend of ours. He's been a friend for years. I've known him for years. <laughs> and he's going to be our first guest. Should we bring him on? Rah. Let's bring him Should on. We bring him on. Let's bring yes. him in. Let's do let's the, let's do the, uh, the WWF introduction. We need to have some <laughs> background music or something. <laughs> oh, my God. He's, he's you know what? That is just the lamest theme tune you could have possibly come up with. Yeah, but you know, you know what it ter- is. I've known you for for like nearly forty years now, and honestly, that your singing's just not improved at all <laughs> in any single year since I've known you. Yes, oh, at you least can, somebody recognises that. Do, do, do. You, you could <laughs> hit an octave with a ball. 
You can hit an octave with a blunderbuss, mate. Good grief. That's the word for the day. Blunderbuss. Right, That's what anyway, your singing sounds like. How does this work? You've got a guest on our show and he's cussing me about my singing. And that's but why anyway. I love it. Andre, you come back every single <laughs> week. Anyway, uh, do you know what? Hi, Andre, it's a, hi Gordon. Shop. Wow, it's a pleasure to finally be invited. Because oh, has it only been a year? Yeah, it took you a year to invite me. Don't worry, I won't hold it personal. <laughs> it's okay. And it, it, I love it. It's not a professional studio, but the room shop, yeah, it's infinitely better than your shed, Gordon. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I, I spent some, some unwanted time in that shed, Gordon, and I still haven't drunk enough to erase the memory of it. <laughs> oh, my God. That, that sounds like it needs another... I did a podcast. Podcast, yeah. I think so. I think. Oh, was that my second invite? Wow. Ooh. Like buses. Well, let's see how you get with this one first. You, you, you wait a year <laughs> until you come along at once. So, how are you today, Andre? I'm good. I'm actually, all things considered, with a three-year-old and a one-year-old and sleep deprivation. And all kind of madness going on with my work career and I'm sure all the whole David Cameron Greensill thing, which I'm not allowed to talk about, uh, going on. Um, that had nothing to do with me, but I work for them. Oh, God, yes. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I work for them. Okay. Damn. See, I didn't get no money out of them, though. See how like, all these guys that were supposed to be billionaires, unfortunately, are now millionaires. But what can I do? Um, just crack on and keep being as awesome as I am and keep drinking that rum. <laughs> That's what gets you through. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That is very true. So tell us a little bit about yourself and Andre. We, you know, I, I know you very well, so does Corey, but the people out there don't know you. So just tell them a little bit about yourself. Oh, good grief. Well, where do I start? Well, I was born in London in 1976, which is an indication of how old I actually am. Um, I'm a North Londoner by birth, so that's why I support Arsenal. Um, <laughs> Jeez, get him off! <laughs> <laughs> that, the, Gordon said that right before he dragged me into the shed. <laughs> this is not you might need to edit that bit out. <laughs> You might need to edit that bit out, but no, I I've, I grew up in Coventry. Um, Gordon was one of the first people I ever met. As a, uh, we we lived in the same neighbourhood. Well, and you stayed in Coventry after that. We stayed in Coventry after that. Yep, our families were good friends. Um, yeah, my uncle um, served in the army for a long time with your brother Gordon. Yes. So there, there's a lot of family ties that we have with with. Uh, between the two of us um, which is why uh, as much as it pains me i can never quite let go of you brother <laughs> <laughs> let's get back in that shed yeah no let's not um <laughs> so so what else do you need to know yeah grew up in commentary went to university in commentary moved to manchester in 2007 um and have been there ever since so i i by trade, I'm a management consultant. I work as a business analyst or a project manager. I do business change, all very exciting. Um, at the moment, I, um, I, uh, yeah, I've, I've no plans in, in terms of moving away from Manchester. Although technically, I'm based in Stockport, Greater Manchester, which isn't Manchester, so I'm told. But uh, 
yeah, I like to think that I'm, I'm an honorary Mancunian. Um, yeah, uh, what else do you need to know about me? Uh, yeah, me and Gordon, we used to train in kickboxing a long time ago. So all these jokes about professional wrestling, <laughs> Gordon hitting people over the head with sticks. I actually... <laughs> The institution hasn't taken Andre, has it? No. David Cameron's him. David Cameron's David come Cameron's to to muted him. In. Cameron, stop it! Damn that Cameron! You corrupt bastard! <laughs> Dre, come back! All is forgiven. Well, not that you're an Arsenal fan, we can't forgive that. That's for sure. <laughs> I think Arsenal could. Now we're getting cut by Arsenal TV. It was Ray Parler. Ray, where are you? Ray Parler cut him off. <laughs> where is he? Yeah, I'm back. He's back. Where would you, what happened? Well, I, I don't. Was I it don't Cameron? actually know what happened. I have no idea what happened. Um, and Cameron, and if, what uh, just just for legal purposes, uh, David Cameron or any other former employee of Greensill had nothing to do with the cut off of my fee just then. <laughs> so you're you're going to get me in trouble. Listen, it's all about it's the institution. For... Yeah, all about the institution. Anyway, my apologies. I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, I think I got as far as, yeah, I live in Manchester. So I'm married with two very young children um, who are both absolutely amazing. Uh, also both very crazy, along with my two pugs, uh, who are also very crazy. Um, they're currently out in the garden. I don't know what they're doing. I probably better check. But um, yeah, that, that's about as much as you need to know about me, or at least as much as I'm willing to share at the moment. So uh... <laughs> see, see, Corey, Andre's got dogs. <laughs> you need to add a dog to be, to to be fair. The, the dogs came with the wife, so uh, I didn't really have a choice in it. It's, it's there you I go. Inherited the dogs. There you part, go. And he says they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've got, you've got two pugs, man. Don't, don't do pugs, Curry. You, you wouldn't be able to cope. See, listen, that's what that's all I need to know. Reinforces my my message and my feelings about around it. I don't need it in my life. So when you're our first guest, but the, the guests that come onto the rum shop, we like to ask them a little question. So when you think of a rum shop, what springs to mind? Oh, oh man. You know what? That's a really, really good question. And it's a cultural thing for me. Um, much like the barber shop, the rum shop equally is a place not just where you go for a service, but where you go to have a service performed for you, where you come to talk and to build relationships and to communicate. Or it's a place, or somewhat of sanctuary, really. When you go there, you can check in at the door. Any of the problems that you had. And you know that you can talk freely, you can talk safely. It's a safe space for, for you. Um, and it's a place where you can actually engage in people, engage with people who share similar cultural issues and challenges that you have that you can't normally talk about outside of that environment. Aside from being a place to get good rum as well. Brilliant. Well, so oh, I think we're going to hit today's topic again. And just remind everybody, Corey, that topic again, please. So we were talking last week about institutional racism and how that has affected us, our network, and the people who are around us. 
the differences that you you face whether you're black and you're in the institution or you're on the other side of it and that's why we've asked andre on today because like myself we've been in the corporate structure for a long time and maybe have to had to adjust slightly not massively to fit in because I've never seen myself as being a black creative or black in the corporation I've just seen myself as me but when you when you step out of it then you start to really see that oh actually have I been part of the system because of x y and z or because of the color of my skin or where I'm from or whatever and then you see okay maybe I've had to adjust slightly I've had to tailor my conversation tailor how I speak or look or act in a certain way just to get ahead and so that's kind of where we're moving from from last time the last conversation to now it's to look a little bit deeper into the reasons why and just like trying to hear first-hand experiences and not just mine and Gordon's experience yeah I I absolutely agree with and understand exactly what you're saying and I think it's really important that people grasp the concept of the existence of the black code uh, that is the, the the very point that you touched on just now which is as a black person as a black man um, you find yourself subconsciously or even consciously tailoring the way you walk talk stand interact just to make other people who aren't black feel a bit more comfortable and even if you do that sometimes it doesn't work you will still find that sense that palpable sense of people being unsettled by you as a black person if i say this are they going to get offended if i speak in a certain way am i coming across as the stereotypical angry black person if i use my own vernacular that i would choose to use at home or around friends or family is it going to be something that's going to cause um, eruption or controversy and it's really hard to have to deal with that in and outside of the workplace especially actually outside of the workplace where you go for post-work drinks or you go for a, a lunchtime meal with your colleagues you still feel that sense of I've got to keep this almost like a facade of how I'm supposed to act so that I don't jeopardize how people see me uh, and therefore jeopardize my potential career prospects or jeopardize my job full stop and it's it is difficult it is hard and it's something that the more I think about the more I think actually is this right why should I have to act this way why should I have to conduct myself in a in a different sense and it's not just being office professional, um, but it's different. It's different. And I, it's great that you've brought this to the fore, Corey. It's great that you're talking about this, Gordon. Uh, I think it's really important because not many people understand it. I would say, I would say, you know, when you talk there, 
the first thing that came to my mind is we're like Superman, where you have to, you know, he puts on his he puts on his uh, his glasses and his and his trench coat and his his shirt and tie to go into the office to fit in, and that's how I see us. We're we're the black Superman, you know. Come come five five o'clock, the cape the cape comes out, and we can really fly. But to fit in with society and everything else, you have to you have to adapt, and it is wrong. Yeah, I like that analogy. Black Superman, what you had a t-shirt. <laughs> you know what? That's another one. That's another one for you there. <laughs> <laughs> But why is that? Why is it, why do we have to do that? Is that because of society? Is it? I mean, why? why we can guarantee, you know, with our partners of or why, and we're not. It's not a, 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 a like a kind of like white people don't do some white. Let's say if a white person grew up in a they grew up in sort of a bad area, and they're growing up and they've made it to they made it to a good level. And they're in a corporate setting, but their background is still pretty raw and stuff like that. Do you think that that person still feels the same as how we feel? Yes and no. But I think there are there are cultural constraints around it. For example, I I I know black people who grew up in very privileged environments. Um, you know, they've they've gone to the best schools, they are, you know, high powered solicitors, they are very senior um executives or, or consultants, they have their own businesses. Uh, and many of those black stereotypes that, that you that you attribute to typical black guys, the guys that grew up around, you know, here you know, um Moss Side in Manchester or Hume in Manchester or you know, um, Alan Rock in Birmingham or um, Hillfields, Coventry, you know, or Brixton, London. Those kind of stereotypical environments where black people tend to uh, be attributed to, to growing up, that, that's not who they were. And yet, people still see them in the same way. You know, every black person is from Jamaica and it's a societal thing. You know, every black person is good at sports. Every black person can dance, which we both know, Gordon and Corey, is not true. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and some, and guess what? And some black people can swim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, not me. My my backside is far too big to allow me to do that. <laughs> This is about the, hey, that's a stereotypical black guy right thing right there. But the, the the point is this, you know, even though those guys came from privileged backgrounds, those guys had the best of education, far better than a lot of their white compatriots or their Asian compatriots. Those guys have um, sharp minds. They're astute and they are at the forefront, the vanguard of their industries. They Those guys will still have to face the same stereotypical views the same kind of um assertions against their character as someone that grew up in a deprived area because of the color of their skin and it's a societal thing if you have someone that is white and they put a suit on and they cut their hair and they shave up nice and they speak with an accent 
it doesn't matter where they come from, they will not be afforded those stereotypical views. Whereas if you're black, you know, and you try and talk not black, so to speak, um, so you, you drop the vernacular, you drop the slang, um, you don't speak with the, the heavy accent, you know, what you get is people saying, you talk like a white person. That doesn't happen if you're white. It doesn't even happen if you're Asian. It doesn't happen for any other cultural background other than black. So it is a societal thing. And it's how people have perceived and painted black communities and black cultures. And people um, will have to labour against that in and outside of the workplace. No matter what they do, no matter how hard they work, they will always be struggling uphill against those kind of views. And that is yeah, why we have the black code. Yeah, and then so obviously the last sort of two or three weeks there's been a lot of talk about the race report. Hmm. So, say there's no institutional racism. And the <laughs> class, in terms of class, where a lot of black people fall into anyway. Um, what's your opinion on the, the race report? Um, if I was to give my true opinion, you would have to edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the I think the the report is an excuse to allow people to cover up and overlook and ignore very salient and very pertinent issues that were brought to the fore last summer. Rightly or wrongly, you know whether you agree with Black Lives Matter as a political movement or not. Um, there are challenges that um, we face as a wider society in terms of understanding why black people feel marginalised, why black people feel that they are not given a fair crack of the whip. Um, and it's not something that has happened recently. It's something that has been going on since the first people stepped off the, the Windrush. You know, people have always seen black people in a, in a particular light. There are plenty of people that don't, and those people are allies to us as the black community. Those people are champions for us as the black, pe as the black community, and those people should be celebrated. Um, but there are plenty of people that don't feel that way. Um, you grew up in the 80s, the 70s and 80s, as I did. How long was it before you were allowed to go to a football match? How long was it before you actually wanted to go to a football match for fear of what you might encounter there. You know, I went to Highfield Road when I was when I was younger, quite a lot. But even so, you know, there were people that I was aware of that I wouldn't want to end up going down a side road knowing that they were there because I was black. You know, it wasn't that long ago. I can still remember people throwing bananas on the football pitch at the likes of Cyril Regis um, and, you know, Laurie Cunningham and, you know, John Barnes. That wasn't that long ago. It's within living memory. And those mm. people haven't changed their views. You know, it's part of society. And so when you have something like the, the race report, which was published recently, that says there's no such thing as institutional racism, I don't believe it. Because it's only 20 years ago that Stephen Lawrence was murdered. And his murder was covered up. And his murder was not properly investigated. 
and the officers that were responsible didn't really face any significant consequences other than retiring on full benefits. How much has changed in the Met? How much has changed in West Midlands Police? How much has changed in the Greater Manchester Police? You know, there are still people in those police forces that don't like black people, that don't like Asian people, that don't like gay people. But we're focusing on the black community because when things go wrong, it's usually the black community that is first to bear the brunt of these issues, first to bear the brunt of these views. You know, we still hear people say, you know, you come over here, you take our jobs, you take our women. Where did they first chuck those accusations at? Black people. Have those attitudes changed? No. We don't see BMP graffiti all over the walls nowadays. But it's not, it doesn't need to be written on the walls when it's written into laws, when it's written on people's hearts. And that is what we are facing. And that is why that report is an insult to us as a black community. We are supposed to be equal in this society. And people will say that Britain is a tolerant society. It's tolerant in and so far and in as far as it allows people to be tolerant. But have a look at how many black executives are on for um, FT100 companies. Sorry, Gordon, mm. go ahead. Sorry, yeah, because the report, correct me if I was wrong, the report was written by some black and Asian people, mm-hmm. which is, so, so for their point of view, they, they don't see it, but are they the same people who don't see it, the ones that some people that you said you might know on that you know Andre, who have grown up in a very good background, that probably haven't lived the life that we've might have been through and the schools that we went to, but have just been quite privileged. So they probably won't see racism, not directly to their face. It could happen behind their back, not to their face because they're on a sort of different sort of platform. So do you think that gives them the right to write that report? Um, it's a good question and uh, it's a difficult one for me to answer because I don't know these people per se I I can have a a fair stab at what they might be like but it's not fair for me to to assume that I know these people because I don't I I know who they are I know of them Um, and, and yeah you could assume that that actually might be an issue or it might actually be an underlying factor in terms of how this report was written. So you have many um, right-wing um, or, or conservative, um, not specifically aligned to conservative political party, but, conser- but black and Asian people who hold conservative views. Um, and they will be the people that, that are you know, relatively successful. You know, they will own businesses and they will have a political office, they will have successful careers, and, and they will say, well, if I did it, why can't you? Hmm. Um, and it, th- there's a point to which you, you can argue, yeah, you know, these people have succeeded, but they overlook one thing, which is they've succeeded in spite of the challenges that were, were set ahead of them. So if everyone has a level playing field, everybody has the same opportunities you would say that 
out of 100 people, 10 would be really successful, 20 would be moderately successful, maybe 50 would have average success, and then you'd have 20 who just couldn't really be bothered. When the reality of it is, we're not all given the same level playing field. So thereby, where you should have 10, the reality is you have one. And that one person then looks at the the other 99 and says, actually, you're not making it it's because you're lazy. Well, it's not. It's not necessarily because they were lazy. It's just because they didn't know the right people to speak to. You might have had connections that could have helped you to advance, that would have opened doors for you. You might have got the opportunity to go and study at somewhere like Oxford or Warwick University or De Montford, uh, sorry, not De Montford, Durham. Although there's nothing wrong with De Montford University, it's a very good university. <laughs> you might not have had the opportunity to go to university at all because of the circumstances that you found yourself in. You were a single, you grew up in a single parent family. You didn't have the opportunity to, to go and study at college because you couldn't afford to, you had to go and work. You know, the, the peer pressure that you felt for, from your friends and family around you, um, whereby we, let, let me touch on something. There, there is something within the black community whereby um, we face challenges and we are expected to live down to an expectation or the other people's expectations, should I say. That is, if you are a person that likes to read, that's frowned upon. If you're a person that likes to study, that's frowned upon. And it's a cultural thing, and it's less so now than it was. So I'll give you an example. When I, when I, I went to university, I went to university, I studied computer science. Um, but when I was planning on going to university, um, I remember having a conversation with my, my grandparents who I grew up with. Um, I remember my grandma saying to me, why are you going to university? You've already got education. You've already got it. It's just, you, all you're getting is just an extra set of papers. Just go and work at Perjo because you, you can get a good job at Perjo. You'll have a job for life. And that right there encapsulates a lot of problems that black people growing up have to overcome because they're not encouraged to go and study. They're encouraged to go and work and show that they're actually contributing towards society because if they're not seen as actually working and contributing towards society um, and adding value because they're bringing money in and then reinvesting that money back into the community, they're seen as being a freeloader or they're seen as not actually adding value to the black community. Uh, and that mentality has existed for a long time. It's less prevalent now because now people have seen value in going off to university and getting better qualifications and opening up new doors um, but for the longest time we had to deal with that and you weren't encouraged to study and you weren't encouraged to um, advance yourself in an educational perspective you were just enc encouraged to work or you were encouraged to take out a vocation or you were encouraged to do something physical that you could see and so we minimize and we, we reduce the number of people who are able to actually sit in those educational establishments and therefore sit in other um, verticals of society at those higher levels, which could enable us to pull more black people up out of that working class mindset. And there's nothing wrong with having a working class mindset, 
But if that's the only mindset that you've got, you can never really expect to change things on a wider societal level because you're not an influencer. Mm. So those, so getting to the, back to your question, those people that were responsible for writing the report probably did come from those um, scenarios and probably did come from those environments where they were encouraged. And so they don't have a clearer view of why working class black people would see what they are writing as being completely disconnected from their own lived experience. That was a long-winded answer. I'm very sorry, but I hope you got to the, the, the gist of what I was trying to get to. But it was brilliant. But it was brilliant. It was brilliant, yeah. It's, it, yeah, that was, that was amazing, Andre. That was well put. And I've got so much running through. I've got so much running through. That's why I thought, for this topic, I thought, Andre, we both thought Andre would be brilliant. And he's been brilliant anyway. Just, oh, thank you. Just because I, the question I want to ask, I feel like I'm asking loads of questions, and you know, and you're not the expert, Andre, but you're someone who's been for it, and also you as well, Cole. You you both been in a corporate world. You've sit on board board boardroom meetings with different people. So the question would be, when people see you, and you know you've been successful, how do other black people who are not successful look at you? So, you know, there's another thing in the sort of the black community, which is maybe it's caused by the institution as well, is that you'd be classed as a bit of a sellout. You're a bit of, you're, 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 you're a, bit of a coconut. You're a bit of a... Oh, gosh. Kind of thing. So, how, how, how does that happen? Explain that to me, because I'll be honest, and I'll put my hand up, I've been working manual jobs, and I've seen people sit in the office, and I've looked at them to be... I thought they're a bit of a sellout. Look at them. Look at them over their tie. Look at them not doing it. Well, I'm doing all the work, but it's only now I've got to the, my age where I've, I've learned and I realised, nah, not the case. We're all in the same the same fight. I bet um, you looked at us as well at, at the same at the same time and thought, <laughs> at you, Corey. yeah, exactly, and <laughs> thought, oh my god, look at them. <laughs> <laughs> but you're my you're my friends. But you explain that. Have you ever suffered anything? away from other black people that look at you and think and how do you deal with it you want to say this one Corey or, or this... you, you're, the, you're the guest that you ate. <laughs> <laughs> okay um, no, look very few people have ever called me a coconut to my face it might be because I'm 6 foot and 17 stone but that, that's not the point <laughs> look but, you, you know you do hear it you do hear it and even when you don't hear it you do feel it it's like you don't fit in you ain't keeping it real you know and I guess it's difficult because you feel like you're fighting a battle on two fronts because you're fighting the institutional challenges you're fighting societal barriers that you face from outside of your own community, but you also face those same challenges from within. And you often hear the term particularly levied around the black community of crabs in a barrel, whereby, you know, you try and elevate and get up and you feel like other people are pulling you down. And then that, that, that becomes the other side of that coin that you're talking about, Corey, whereas, you know, you have people that say, Actually, it's not because I'm a sellout, it's just because you're lazy. Um, 
and say you, you want to you want to address that from both sides because the more we promote infighting or we inculcate disagreements and squabbling between black people because they come from a particular environment or work in a particular industry sector and you work in a different one the tribalism has to stop so you know i'm going to touch on something when we were growing up we we had lots of youth facilities we had youth clubs we had after school clubs we had saturday school we had all these things where we could Inter interact with black people who were in the educational profession that were in social social studies professions um you know we went to Basel youth club growing up and you know we had bev there we had trisha dudu who is now a newscaster and a, a, a broadcaster um that were there and they showed us that it was okay to study and it was okay to be um something more than what we were expected to be. You know, we weren't simply expected to play football or play basketball or be rappers or musicians, you know, or work in a factory or do, you know, manual labour. We could be more if we wanted to be. And that is what is missing. And it is an institutional thing that we have seen over the last 15 years since the beginning of the austerity um austerity uh, policies that were enacted by the Conservative government in 2011 that we saw cuts across the board to public services um, including police and NHS but more importantly to public services such as youth clubs and after-school clubs and libraries and so on and such forth where we had the opportunity and the chance to really influence young people at an early age to say this is not necessarily who you need to be you can be more you can be different and it's okay for you to be different it's okay for you to want to study it's okay for you to want to care for other people it's okay for you to want to actually work in an office there's nothing wrong with wearing a suit and tie there's nothing wrong with you know speaking in a way that doesn't rely on let's let's be honest street vernacular you know it's okay to to kind of be professional. We're missing that, and we've been missing that for years, and we've got an entire generation of people who are lacking that. And because we lack that guidance, we look for it elsewhere, or young people will look for it elsewhere. So, um, the, there's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, um, definitely. It's about the ne that. That's what I love. What you were saying. It's about that next generation. It's, it's it's telling that next generation. Look, there's nothing wrong with reading a book. There's nothing wrong with going to university. There's nothing wrong with learning. There's nothing being different. To the you can still be a proud black person, black man, black woman, but still learn. Still be at the highest level. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's where the education needs. That's where we need to. The next generation need to see that as well. Maybe they don't see enough, and that's what it boils down to. That they don't see enough. You know, it's only recently we've we've actually seen a black superhero that the whole world watched. So that now the other black kids now are playing with 
Black Panther toys, but they probably wouldn't because they couldn't see it. But now they can see it. Now they can strive to. And that we've got a superhero, and that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about telling that you can. We can. I think sometimes, you know, it's, a, it's sort of a different topic, really. But it's just showing. It's showing that next generation we can achieve it. You got any other to say, Corey? Because I mean, it's, sort of... yeah, I mean, we we need to wrap up soon. But I mean, we could again. I think we could go on another episode for this, another another series. Um, I wanted to just think, parents, place of birth. You know, that's where you kind of see yourself because that's where your parents are from. But you also don't fit in there because you're in the island, the other island, and so you don't see yourself there either. And so there's there's a missing place within within this world and i heard a podcast um, a talk of some young young university graduates and they they were saying that they they their parents were born in in africa and they go back there and during the summers or whatever it is but again they don't see themselves as part of the african community there because they're so western westernized and so, they, and they also don't see themselves here because they're not showing those pathways or showing those that love where they can feel that they can just be themselves. And so, we almost need this utopian area where we can just be who we want to be. I I, I agree. Um, it is hard, and it, it again, it's a question of identity and um, understanding who you are. Um, and understanding what you can be and understanding that there's room for you as an individual, as a collective, to grow um, outside of the pressures and constraints that other people in your own community will put upon you. Um, And it's hard. And I I guess we'll continue to struggle while we are not having these conversations on a broad basis, I, I think we, three of us, sat here on a Saturday morning having this conversation, um, and it's great. And there were people out there that will listen, and they will think, "Yeah, that's really good." But how many people are willing to actually stand up and say, "Actually, that's really good," and I want to do something about it? Because it's easy to just maintain the status quo, because we've lived it for so long. We've experienced it for so long. It just is easier than actually getting up and trying to affect change. Um, I think it's really difficult for us to, to overcome those limitations without more people across the community being willing to stand up and say, yeah, this isn't right. We need to actually try and force change here. Because otherwise, all we'll do is continue having conversations like this. Yeah, same and cycle. Nothing will, nothing will ever be different. Yeah, and the thing is, we want we want it to be different because we have we have our next generation. We don't want them to struggle the way that we struggled or our parents struggled. And find find a new path for yourself. You know, give them the confidence, the ability, the knowledge to grow. You know, this is a curious world that we that we live in, and through curiosity, knowledge, trying to find yourself, 
is the only way that we're going to start to start to move forward like you said i completely agree but it's about for us continuing that conversation i think you make change for our generation our future generations we need to take action and you know this is us making a little case for that and i think it's about like i said making making anybody else that, that's listening out there to take that next step to engage to open up to want to share to keep talking about it and to force the hand of others you know that these institutions we create our own institutions to support black people to support our own communities because it's like we are just going to get sucked up and almost decimated from the from the caribbean black community because it's just going to be this blanket society of bland people yeah so that community you know that community spirit is so important That's, for me that was massive with like with the kids i want them to know how to make rice and peas i don't want them to know how to eat you know eat dumpling or try you know stew or mutton or whatever it is because that's what i had and those those i mean it's so very small part of it but to have a little bit of your own identity or your your cultural identity is so important to be able to take that through yeah you're absolutely right and you know the there's so much that is great about black communities and black identity as a as a whole and unfortunately all we seem to hear is a negative aspect of it you know and it pains me you know we we have this question every november every october november time why do we have to have black history month why do we have to have a black history month uh, um, my wife fully understands the reason why we have Black History Month, which is why she says, I don't, I don't get why people don't get it. You have White History Month every month, even during Black History Month, White History Month is still taught. But Black History is something that I don't hear about, I didn't learn about in school. And I've had to go out and I've had to learn things for myself to understand that it's not just whatever I see on TV or whatever I hear on a particular song on the radio that that reflects the the totality of a black community and a black identity there's so much more to it you know we are a people who have education you know we are responsible for you know helping to define concepts such as mathematics and algebra and geometry and geology and astronomy and you know you you going off on a tangent here you look in africa um, and you look at the, the Library of Alexandria, which is at one point with the greatest collection of knowledge on the planet. And it was raised and destroyed. Um, and it's never talked about, you know. And all we get is the history and identity that society tries to give us. But we're about more than that. And we're a blend. It's not just black people who are either Jamaican or African or, or American. You know, there are the different shades and flavours and we should look to preserve that and we should look to uh, communicate that and cascade that on through generations. But we should also be willing to fight for the things that matter 
and be honest enough with ourselves to say that these are the things that need to change amongst us. And until we can actually do that, until we, we can engage with people both in and out of the black community, uh, as I say, it, it feels like it's an uphill struggle. It does. It feels like it's, you know, sometimes you just think, why, why bother? Why bother? And it's easy to just Definitely. Um, fit in, which is what brings us back to that original question that you asked. It's easier to fit in than it is to have people try and integrate our own culture into wider society. That's why we have a black code. That's why we wear the suit and tie. That's why we talk in a certain way. Because if we try and do it differently, we encounter resistance. And there is too much disunity amongst the black community to prevent us from actually challenging those, those barriers to, to black people as a whole in this society. And, and so we don't advance. And so we see things like um, black people being passed over for promotion. We see things like not enough representation on boards and in senior executive roles across UK companies. We see things like um, stereotypical views of black people on television programmes, on radio. We see things like um, media being driven in a particular direction because it sells um, and it reinforces views that people have. Uh, so you see articles in, for example, uh, the Daily Mail or the Daily Express about someone like Raheem Sterling spending millions on a house. But, you know, you have someone like Harry Kane who will spend even more on his house and nothing's ever said. And it's, mm. so there's so many different aspects to it. It, it can become overwhelming. And it, it makes me... It, uh, I'll go back to the, the corporate, um, the corporate um, analogy of how do you eat an elephant? Uh, well, you chunk it up, you break it down, and you take it one part at a time. And I think that's what we need to start doing, is identifying the bits that we need to address and understanding where, as a community, black people can, can lend their strengths um, or individuals in the black community can lend their strengths to addressing these very various different aspects because not everyone can do everything and we can't all do it at the same time. It is a progression that needs to happen. It, it's, and the, the progression is slow, but... Looking at it from a positive perspective, think of how different things are now compared to how they were back in the 1980s or even the early 90s. Think of how much representation we see. Yes, Gordon mentioned Black Panther, um, first billion pound drawing black-led superhero film or black-led film full stop. Um, and that's not technically to say that that Shaq should be overlooked for his excellent work in the film still um, but it's it's better now than it was then but at the same time it's not and um, we seem to be fighting the same battles on different fronts at the mo uh, that's how I see it at the moment we still have institutional structures which promote racism um, because I don't know about you, but I can be driving and I might see blue flashing lights in my rear view mirror and automatically I tense up and think, do I need to pull over? Because I've been pulled over and it might well have been the car that I drove, 
but there are other people who drove the same type of car as me and didn't get pulled over. You know? I can be walking down the street and see a police officer and I will feel tension subconsciously and I don't know why. And it might go back to the fact that I've been stopped and searched a couple of times in Coventry. Coming home from work in my work uniform. And I, where, where are you going? Home. Where have you been? Work. Where do you work? It says right there on my shirt. Are you being funny with me, sir? No. What's in your bag? My work uniform. Would you like to see it? Don't go in your bag. Don't go in your bag. Those are lived experiences that I've had. You know, and there are plenty of other people that I've had them with me. Um, and uh, while I don't tend to see that as much in my own life, I know that it still just happens. Um, mm. And people argue the toss, well, black people carry knives all the time. And again, it goes back to the point that I raised earlier. Well, that happens because people find, uh, black people or black youths find comfort and community in gangs rather than in community centres and community services that were previously in place. Uh, and there are a lot of challenges that we need to, to address. And we need to have people in politics that can lobby on our behalf, that will lobby for budgets to establish those after-school programmes, that will lobby for budgets to renovate deprived areas. You know, we, you, I live in Manchester, or I lived in Manchester, I'm in Stockport now. Uh, living in Manchester, you could see Moss Side on a map gradually shrink smaller and smaller and smaller so that community was marginalized uh, and displaced through gentrification i see it in my my home borough of hackney in london um, where you know my sisters and my dad still live it's virtually impossible to buy a house there for anything less than four hundred thousand pounds and that will get you a one-bedroom flat you know this is a these are black communities where people live for for decades pushed out bits that they want renovated, the bits where the black people are, aren't, you know? And, and we need to have people on councils, we need to have people in Houses of Parliament, we need to have people in the House of Commons, we need to have people in the House of Lords, we need to have people, um, black people, on boards, in boardrooms, owning companies, driving policies, investing in communities, devising policies, pushing things forward, to advance black people and the black community as a whole. Because let's be honest with you, if the black community succeeds, everybody succeeds. Because we're, and I might be speaking out of turn here, um, we as an ethnic minority are one of the first to try and open ourselves up and interact and, and integrate with British society as a whole. Absolutely. That's why we have things like Notting Hill Carnival, Birmingham Carnival. That's why we had, you know, community centres, West Indian Club in Coventry. How many white people did we see in the West Indian Club in Coventry drinking Red Stripe or, or engaging in other recreational substances which may or may not have been partaken in at the West Indian Club in Coventry? <laughs> you, well, you know what we're talking about. Well, 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 you, you hit the nail on the head there, Andre. <laughs> and I, I would say that you, you should be lobbying to be that person, and we would back <laughs> we would back you as the curious rum shop. 
Yes, you, 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 we need to back Andre. So uh, I have listening. Let's back Andre. No, I have no. In- I had no intention of running for office in any capacity. Um, maybe an advisor then. Maybe as an advisor. In all seriousness, where I know I can add the most value is in the workplace, in professional environments. That is where I'm able to exercise influence. Um, and people that I, I know and people that I am friends with are, are doing likewise. I have uh, a friend um, that I went to church with uh, in Manchester, Sharon Amesu. She has started her own um, consultancy called She Leads for Legacy along with her daughter, Sophia, um, Afia, sorry, Afia Amesu. The two of them um, are lobbying for diversity and inclusion um, it, it, for women, especially black women, um, in uh, various different industries, in business, in law, uh, in media. Uh, and, and her work is, is stellar. She influences major, major companies. Um, she has lots of uh, Barclays um, representation that, that attended her events, um, Lloyd's co-op. Um, senior leaders have attended her events. You know, I, I look at someone like uh, another friend of mine um, who runs uh, a consultancy that, that focuses on engaging black people with, within tech, um, tech technology, um, STEM. Um, as, an in, as an industry sector, uh, she is someone that worked at co-op for a long time um, and was responsible for pursuing and promoting diversity um, and inclusion within the co-op um, and her her work Annette Joseph um, ha- has done a, a lot of really really great work not only in the co-op but across the greater Manchester region um, and I think her company Diverse and Equal um, is, is doing great things um, in terms of influencing and lobbying for change um, to promote inclusion for black people and for people from ethnic minorities and ethnic backgrounds, I'm not using the term BAME because I've got my own issues around that. We've got another friend, mm. um, Adosa Adaro, who um, is the, I think he's head of data um, within Lloyd's Banking Group and does great work around diversity and inclusion and is a, you know, a great speaker and a great champion for inclusion. And we have people that, that work within these sectors, law, business, finance, even sports, media, um, that are trying to promote and effect change uh, for black and ethnic minority communities uh, and long may their work continue. And we should be supporting that and we should be engaging with people. And Corey, I know from your perspective, you've done work to promote inclusion and diversity at the companies that you've been at and it's great. But as great as that is, there needs to be more. We are not seeing enough and we're not seeing enough in the industry sectors and in the societal sectors that matter, particularly around law, around construction, around industry, heavy industry, yeah. around financing. We need to see further influencing from black people, from ethnic minorities at those top levels. Yeah, we need, to see, at the, we need to see it at the top yeah. and we also need to make sure that the youth see it also because... Exactly. I see I'm on this leadership program and the amount of key leaders that have been in my sector that I never knew about mm. is incredible. 
And if I'd have known them 15, 20 years ago or known of their work, it may be a very different story. And so I think yeah. it's getting involved at that top level, but also making sure that the youth see it as well as an opportunity to grow within those sectors. We need to do this another day as well because we are literally running over and I didn't want to hold, hold the proceedings. So I think, Andre, we need to get you back on. It would be an honour. Continual discussion that we need to have. And I think it's, it's too important not to, not to give the airspace to. Thanks, guys. Um, drinks are on you next time. Listen, you, all day. We've got, we've got you. <laughs> we've got so you, and I think it's, um, it's an honour to have you on, on, on the show today, and we really appreciate it. And Gordon's got one final question for you, um, oh, and then gosh. we will wrap up. So you, ca you cannot leave the room shop. You just cannot leave the room shop without talking about well-being. <laughs> So yeah. what's your three top tips to help your well-being? Um, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. One is learn how to switch off from whatever it might be. Um, whether you are a full-time parent, um, whether you are um, high-flyer in the corporate world, um, whether you are working manual labour, or whether you're, you're, not even in, you know, you're not even in work, Find time to set aside specifically for you, to think about you, to focus on you. Um, it's important, it doesn't matter what it is, if you go for a walk, if you want to go for a kickabout, if you want to play video games, if you want to listen to music, whatever it is, read a book, whatever it might actually be. Find that time for you. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing is learn how to talk. Um, I like to talk to you guys about mental health. Um, I, I write um, <clears throat> a, a regular blog about business analysis because that's that's my my specialist se industry sector. Um, but business analysis as a career is highly demanding, and it really takes it out of you um, mentally and physically. It can be really demanding because you are in a demanding industry. Demanding industry, uh, and I focus in my writing on mental health and that aspect of your managing your career. Um, and it's because I, I've experienced, you know, significant challenges in terms of mental health over the years, um, from anxiety and stress to depression. Um, I, I've, I've, I've had to manage that on an ongoing basis. It's not something you ever really get past, but it's vitally important that you are able to talk to people rather than carrying things by yourself, because that is a surefire way to worsening your mental health to, to a terrible degree. Uh, and the third thing is um, enjoy the time that you have with the people that matter um, because you can't get it back. Um, as you know, I lost my mum in November um, and I still think about her every single day and it makes me sad that, you know, especially in the last year of her life, you know, she's really struggling with cancer. And um, the last year, I couldn't physically be with her um, because of coronavirus being in the lockdown. Um, I couldn't physically be with her, and I'd give anything to have more time with her. There was so much more that I, I wanted her to experience, and I wanted to experience with her. 
and you can't get that time back. You spend it in your workplace, you spend it with your mates in the pub, um, but you miss your kids growing up. You, you don't see how your relationship with your wife or your spouse, your partner, should blossom because you don't invest time in it. That's the other thing. So, yeah, take time for yourself. Yes, learn how to talk. And yes, spend time in the right way with the right people. That's it. Those are my three. Andre, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Thank you guys. so much for being our first, second, third guest, depending how we look at it. We'll say first, okay? But thank you for coming on. You're definitely going to come back again. We're going to invite you. There's so much we could talk about, but time is against us, man. Time is against us. We need to get in that sun and we need to sip yeah. a bit of rum. Absolutely. So, Andre, thank you for coming on the rum shop. Enjoy the rest Thanks, of your day. You thank too. you. See you again soon. Bye. Take care. Wow, that was deep. That was deep. I'm doing a job with some pearls. Honestly, oh, it's incredible. I'm sitting here, jaw jaw wide open, brain whirring, stomach rumbling, because that was that was incredible. Um, and yes, we will get Andre back on again because he's got so much so much wisdom, so much knowledge humility um and passion about life in general um and we need more andres in the world that's for sure we do and we need more guests on the show we do we do <laughs> we need more guests on the show and you know it's going to happen we we we're, we're going to have more guests we're, well, yeah we're, we're building we're building, we're building. this building. is not we've an overnight couple, success this is something that we're lined up in may yeah Part of the sort of uh, mental health week, mental health awareness week, we've got we've got people coming on. So, yeah, that was brilliant. Thank you again to Andre, absolutely amazing. You know, really thoughtful, thought provoking. It was, yeah, it was. I'm just blown away. I'm lost for words. Oh. I think let's let's think let's, let's just, just leave let's it. Just, let's just wrap up. Let's get a drink and be done. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right. Peace out. We are God dead.